The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. We will continue on a remorseless mission to squeeze Russia from the global economy piece by piece, day by day, and week by week. One thing, of course, we could also do is to make an open and unconditional offer to Ukrainian refugees to house them in the United Kingdom. We haven't seen all of what Putin's going to do at the moment. We do not know what his end goal is. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Caroline Hepker. Good afternoon, I'm Ewan Potts. Well, coming up on today's show, we'll be speaking to Conservative MP Simon Hoare and to James Smith from the Resolution Foundation as the UK faces up to the economic toll of the war in Ukraine. Well, there you have it. The UK has frozen the assets of the Chelsea football club owner Roman Abramovich in its latest wave of sanctions against wealthy Russians. Abramovich and six other prominent Russians now face a full asset freeze and travel ban and are prohibited from doing any transactions with UK citizens or businesses. Boris Johnson says that there can be, quote, no safe havens for those who have supported Putin's vicious assault on Ukraine. More on that later. Well, the front pages have been dominated by pictures of the devastation caused by a Russian attack on a maternity hospital in the city of Mariupol in Ukraine. While Russia called the reports around the bombing fake news, Ukrainian officials say that three people were killed and many more injured in the assault. Speaking alongside her US counterpart, Anthony Blinken, the Foreign Secretary Liz Truss described the attack as abhorrent. Now is not the time to let up. Putin must fail. We know from history that aggressors only understand one thing, and that is strength. We know that if we don't do enough now, other aggressors around the world will be emboldened. And we know that if Putin is not stopped in Ukraine, there will be terrible implications for European and global security. We would be sending a message that sovereign nations can simply be trampled on. Meanwhile, the UK and other NATO allies are still holding firm against President Zelensky's call for a no-fly zone over Ukraine. Well, joining us now is Simon Hall, Conservative MP for North Dorset. Simon is also chair of the Commons Northern Ireland Committee. Good to have you on the programme, Simon. Just recently, I read one of your tweets. What the hell is the point of NATO, you wrote? 2% of GDP on defence, aircraft carriers and US leadership if they are not used now. What should NATO be doing? Are you in favour of a no-fly zone? Yes, I am. Um, I'm not a military tactician. Um, I've never served in the military, so I I don't want to fall into the trap of being an armchair general. But I think NATO has a role to defend values, not just uh, territory. And it seems to me that the reason of this sort of fear, and it's a legitimate fear, because by God, isn't it the most serious threat imaginable? But uh, Putin has nuclear weapons, and therefore we shouldn't prod him uh, too hard. Well, Putin's always had nuclear weapons, and he's always going to have them unless there's a major step change in Russian foreign and defense policy. That effectively says that he can do what he likes, where he likes, when he likes. 
Mm. And the West's actions will be self-constrained and self-restrained because of the threat of nuclear um, activity. And now, you know, these are these are big, huge, future of the world type questions. But at some point, we have to, I think, heed what uh, the Ukrainian president and people are asking for, which is effectively they are trying to fight this war with one hand tied behind their back. Uh, the Russians cannot be trusted to either secure, deliver, and guarantee humanitarian uh, routes out of some of these besieged cities. Okay. But I do think at some point, and the point is coming very, very soon, if it's not here already, uh, where NATO uh, is going to have to have a rethink. And frankly, the United States, of whom I'm a, an enormous admirer and a huge supporter of President Biden, being the leader of the free world is more than just having a badge and a cap. It's actually about doing stuff. And mm. I think they need to step up to the plate as well. We have to lose as the West... This okay, terrible but ghost which hangs over us of you know Iraq and, and Libya and others. And what we, are the, know, warn- the, yeah. the warnings though, Simon, of um, implementing a no-fly zone with NATO planes or uh, you know US or UK planes is a direct confrontation with Russia and then uh, a war, including potentially for Britain. So you would say that that is a risk worth taking. Well, I think you know, we can't just do these things when we think it's going to be quick when it's going to be easy, when our opponents are than us, and when victory is guaranteed. When Churchill stepped up, you know, we didn't know we were going to win in 1945, but we did it because it was the right thing. When we stood up in 1914, we didn't know we were going to win, but we did it because it was the right thing. And sometimes doing that which is right does have attendant risks to it, but it doesn't make it any less wrong for doing it. Do you think voters are, are ready for us to get involved in a war? Because it, it would be getting involved in a war, wouldn't it? It would be, it would be us with other NATO partners yeah. attacking Russian um, you know, equipment. No, I don't think it would. Um, it, 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 it needn't be that. What we could say is, we are going to, what NATO is going to do, or maybe it could be done under the auspices of the United Nations uh, as well, some sort of blue beret, um, uh, action as well, is to say we are going to create within Ukraine, which we still recognize as an independent sovereign country, humanitarian routes. And we are going to put planes in the sky in order to patrol and to protect those routes. Now, it would be entirely up to the Russian aggressors as to whether or not they wanted to destabilize that by either attacking those planes, policing those humanitarian safe routes, or attacking the columns of refugees fleeing the country as a result of that Russian aggression. The ball would be very much in Russia's court, but I don't think we can stand idly by, bristling as we are with NATO in the West, with military uh, equipment and, and the rest, and watch these people effectively being what shot up like, like goldfish in a, in a barrel. Yes, but all of this depends really on President Biden, as you mentioned. I it mean, does. we can, you know, stamp our feet and, and, and be frustrated about it, but ultimately it's the US that's going to decide for NATO. Yes, I think you're right, uh, which is why I make the point that um, the leadership role of the, of the states is more than just wearing the badge, which says leader of the free world. Lead, and I think people will follow. And this is now, this is not just about territory as important as terror. This is a battle of values. And I think Russia has looked at how we were treated um, in Afghanistan, how we are um, timidly nervous uh, as a hangover 
of, uh, of, of Iraq. They have seen, uh, in the words of uh, former President Trump, uh, an undermining of, uh, or an attempt to undermine uh, NATO and, and, and America's commitment to it, rapidly reversed by President Biden, and that is to be welcomed. But I think that they, they are seeing us as a coalition of people who will sit around and talk about the importance of our values and our principles and democracy and sovereignty. But we've become soft, fat and flabby when it actually comes to sort of getting up, standing up and doing something tangible, robust and muscular in order to defend them. Now, in doing that, are, are there attendant risks? Of course there are. But you either say our values-based, international order-based system, the rule of law-based system, is important and worth defending, or it's not. I want to and talk to you about not, it. And if it's not because of this uh, threat uh, or, or of the existence of nuclear weaponry within Russia, then you my earlier tweet, which you very kindly quoted, which is, what is the point of having organizations such as NATO? It's then that's, every man for himself in each country for that's, itself, that, surely. That, that's, that's, that's very clear. I want to talk to you about uh, another, another values issue, uh, the, the refugee situation. We spoke to a Conservative MP yesterday who said uh, it's mostly a problem of bureaucracy that hasn't caught up with the need. Do you think it's a problem of bureaucracy at the Home Office, or is it something more serious than that? Well, it, uh, uh, yes, uh, and it was, but the Home Secretary has just announced in the Commons about 20 minutes ago now um, a, a significant um, change to the approach, uh, which will be about dealing with paperwork when people are here and that all applications can be done online rather than having to have a face-to-face -face, uh, meeting. I think that's a very important proactive response from the Home Office yeah, but, uh, but Simon, the Home Office has been preparing for the refugee crisis, so I read, since January. Preeti Patel is, is facing well, calls to resign. 500 visas is, is nothing compared to 1.2 million that have crossed oh, the border into Poland. Oh, no, 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 no. What I'm saying, mm. ha, let, 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 me, let me respond to your question in yes. two parts. Has the response of the UK on this issue... Um, been anywhere near good enough? The clear and compelling answer to that, I'd suggest, is... And I think that has principally been because we've been... or the Home Office has been trying to overlay peacetime policies to the pressures of a wartime situation. And you couldn't get a round peg into a square hole or vice versa. So they are now having to be creative and all the rest of it. Is it too late? No. It would have been great if it had happened last week, but it hasn't. We are where we are. I think what the Home Office is now doing is responding proactively to, and this is, I think, quite an unusual thing, but colleagues from across the Tory parliamentary party, the right of the party, the centre of the party, and the left of the party, have all been making the case on the floor of the House and privately to ministers and, and to others of the need for a big-hearted, energetic, at-pace, speedy, non-bureaucratic response to this pressing humanitarian issue, which is affecting our fellow brothers and sisters on our continent. And, and seven, seven uh, Russian billionaires sanctioned. That's something else that the UK has been slow on, isn't it? It seems to be much more of this elsewhere well, in Europe, much, much more quickly. But, you know, I, 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 I do despair of this sort of slightly, and, and there are some in the government who, 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 who make it, so I'm not saying this is a criticism of you. This is not a bloody competition. There's not a league table of who does this and who does that. This mm. has to be an international response. 
each, each country will have its own jurisdictions with regards to the evidence it requires for sanctioning and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. The House of Commons has moved very quickly. New legislation put in place uh, this week. Um, seven Russians, I think, sanctioned this morning, equating yes. to, as I understand it, £15 billion pounds worth. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Well, let's take a closer look at what else is making news in the world of politics today. And we're joined by our very own Bloomberg's Leanne Gerins. Leanne, thanks for joining us on the programme today. Now, uh, just announced in the last uh, few hours, these uh, package of sanctions against uh, a number of wealthy Russians, £15 billion in total. Just talk us through what it means uh, for Chelsea Football Club in particular. Yes, Ewan, of course. So the government has added Roman Abramovich, the UK's best-known oligarch and, of course, the billionaire owner of Chelsea Football Club, and he's been hit with sanctions. He's been added to this long list among his former business partner, Oleg Deripaska, who is now also on the list. But what does this mean for Chelsea Football Club? So Nadine Dorries, and now she's the culture secretary, she has sent out a flurry of tweets about... About what this means, she says our priority as the government is to hold those who have enabled the Putin regime to account. Today's sanctions obviously have a direct impact on Chelsea and the club's fans. So, of course, Roman Abramovich did announce he was putting Chelsea up for sale, but he hasn't got any bids in yet, so he still remains the owner. He also said if he sold the London club, he would be giving the money he made from the sale to a charity to help those people in Ukraine and it is reported to be worth about 2.4 billion pounds the club. Now we don't know if that can still go ahead as Abramovich can no longer benefit from the sale of Chelsea and he is facing an asset freeze here in the UK on his properties and we do know he owns at least one multi- million pound house in Kensington. So the big question is why are the government doing this? The case against him according to the government says Roman Abramovich is associated with Vladimir Putin who is accused of destabilizing Ukraine mm. and that Abramovich has also benefited from Putin. Now Olak Deripaska I mentioned at the beginning he's already been sanctioned over in the US so he might have kind of seen this coming and um, he was the most famous for taking George Osborne and Peter Mandelson on his yacht in Corfu back in 2008. He is well connected politically. Yeah, well, it's been known for a couple of decades that these individuals have got, you know, ties to uh, Vladimir Putin, to, to the Kremlin and so on. So, yeah, I think a lot of people will be asking why um, perhaps it has taken this long. Uh, but obviously the war in Ukraine changes matters. Also, the Institute for Fiscal Studies, though, warning about the hit to UK 
households from soaring energy prices. As if we're not feeling it already, Caroline. I know many people are feeling it at the till and at home and at the petrol pumps. But Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, now faces a choice of the worst hit to households since the 1970s or a spending hike at his spring statement, which is happening this month. And this is according to the Institute for Fiscal Studies, an economic think tank. The Chancellor will have to decide whether to spend and borrow billions more or allow a hit to household incomes bigger than at times since at least the financial crisis and as I mentioned earlier quite possibly the 1970s which I can't remember we're seeing massive swings in these commodity markets as the US the UK and the EU try to reduce imports of crude oil and this is really driving up those prices like what what's going to happen what does the future hold and the shadow chancellor Rachel Reeves said the government may have to now you know really think about halting their national insurance hike in April, which we are all expecting, because things have changed. But also there's been seismic changes, haven't there? We've had Brexit and we've also had COVID. It'll be very interesting to see what uh, Chancellor Rishi Sunak pulls out of his uh, budget box in that uh, spring statement, which is on March the 23rd. Thanks so much, Leanne Gerrins. Well, following on from that warning, the Resolution Foundation says that UK households are facing the biggest falling living standards for half a century as Russia's invasion deepens the cost of living crisis. Well, soaring oil and gas prices triggered by the war could see inflation exceed 8% this spring, the research group says. And this will cause uh, incomes to drop by 4% in real terms or around £1,000 on average over the coming financial year. Well, joining us now is James Smith. He's research director at the Resolution Foundation. James, thanks so much for joining us on Bloomberg Westminster Day. Now, energy is obviously a a big part of these rising prices, but how how much of a a big part is energy in this and where else are household budgets going to be hit good morning thanks for having me on so yes that's uh, that's definitely a big part of what's what's going on so we already had inflation at 5.4 percent that's the highest uh since the the 1990s highest in in 30 years as the bank of england telling us that was enough to deliver the biggest hit to living standards since the uh, since the 90s as well. So, you know, the, the, we, we already knew that this year was going to be a miserable one for living standards. The situation in the Ukraine fundamentally, as, as you say, is, uh, is uh, a human tragedy for people in, in the Ukraine, but it also affects energy energy markets. And what we've seen over the past couple of weeks will really intensify that, that rise in inflation. So, as you mentioned, it could hit uh, over 8%. If it goes over 8.4%, then it'll be the highest since uh, since the 80s. So really, levels of inflation that we've we've not seen in, in more than a generation and mm-hmm. driven by uh, you know, those rises in, in energy prices. So that's, uh, that's a real key part of that. So as you, as you mentioned in your introduction, that, that is equivalent to a, a £1,000 uh, average median household income hit, but the impact will be larger for those towards uh, the lower end of the income distribution. That's both because they spend more on on things like gas, but also because inflation is broadening out. So we're starting to see the spectre of rising food price inflation. So we know Ukraine's a key producer of wheat and, Mm -hmm. and some other agricultural products, and that's going to start 
essentially feeding into our food prices. And that's when we really get a, a bigger hit towards the the bottom of the distribution. And that's that's what yeah. CUNAP should really be, be focused on in the spring statement coming up. Yeah, it's food and fuel. Having said that, the UK um, is largely produces its own wheat, but I understand that global prices are going up and it's more than just wheat. It's also corn and oil that, that Ukraine you know, produces. But the other issue, James, around fuel, how much does the government have to target its help towards lower income households? Because actually during the pandemic, um, medium to sort of higher income households increase their savings and they actually haven't spent those savings yet. So how targeted does the government help have to be here, do you think, from Rishi Sunak? That's right. Uh, Households in general are in a surprisingly strong position, given the size of the recession we had uh, through coming through the through the pandemic. So something like 200 billion of extra saving relative to uh, what the sort of path that we were on before the pandemic have been built up by households. And that's really because households had to stop spending money on the types of things that they they spent money on. They, you know, they could go out to restaurants and do other types of social consumption, that kind of thing. So, you know, the, we, we've, we've got on average, as you say, that, that improvement. But the, the big thing is that that's not shared across distributions, those at the bottom of the, the distribution, so those on lower incomes are much more likely to not build up savings, some of them even, some of that group even increased debt through that period. So overall, um, there's evidence that the recovery is going reasonably well and uh, households are in a strong position. But for those households who are spending more on energy, more on food, mm. they have had a tougher time through the through the pandemic. And that's why the response needs to be focused uh, at the bottom of the income distribution. Now, rising prices is only half the story, isn't it? What's the picture for wage growth? Isn't there a chance that as as inflation expectations start to kind of bed in, pay, pay settlements uh, start to pick up, which will be, of course, bad news for the Bank of England, uh, bad news potentially for the UK economy, but, but better news for, for household budgets? This is a big worry for the Bank of England. So on headline measure, uh, pay growth is pretty strong, particularly given that we've just had uh, a a big recession, so about 4%. If you look at uh, the tax data, that's a bit more timely. It's even even stronger than that. And for the Bank of England, the worry is that they're seeing signs that that higher pay growth is is becoming ingrained. Um, Now, again, you know, these are... These are averages, and you, there's a lot of difference. And we, you know, there are some cases and in some industries where wages are going up very quickly. But you know, we we we've already suspect for public sector workers, for example, that uh, pay rises won't be so strong. And for a lot of workers, there'll be a big drag from higher inflation, and mm-hmm. that will mean the um, the actual spending power of their of their wages will decline. And that you know, again, that leads us back to how do you protect the economy, protect those vulnerable households from from that hit. Yeah. In terms of solutions then, what would you like to see? A scrapping of the rise in national insurance, the tax that's about to hit in April? Is it uh, the universal credit that needs to go back up? There was a big debate around that. Is it warm home grants? What is the solution here for helping households? There's quite a few different things the government could do. The absolutely best thing they could do in terms of targeted support would be to do a faster uprating on universal credit. So 
really boosting benefits by uh, the amount of inflation that we actually have rather than doing that in a in their usual uh, slow lagging way. So we, we think that would mean around an extra five percentage points uh, increase in universal credit in, in April. That's the, the best thing they can do if they cancel the tax, the tax rise that, that was planned for national insurance in April, that that um, provi- that doesn't provide as much support at the bottom of the distribution. That would be relatively expensive, relatively poorly target- targeted, but there's other things they could do in terms of improving the warm home discount to provide targeted support. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.